It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, September 22, 2020. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. A house fire in Sitka claimed one life on Friday afternoon. Fire Chief Dave Miller says crews responded at 2.57 p.m. after receiving calls about a mobile home that had caught fire at 147 Price Street. The original call came in and said that there were flames showing uh, out the windows. And when we got uh, around the uh, area of the post office, we could see the smoke coming from it, so we knew that it was, you know, a good fire. Firefighters arrived on the scene at 3.05 and began putting out the blaze. Miller says the flames were mostly confined to the living room and kitchen area, with the rest of the trailer sustaining smoke and heat damage. The fire was extinguished in about five minutes. Miller says it was only after the blaze was mostly contained that firefighters learned that there may be one occupant inside. And we found one person in the trailer in one of the bedrooms. Um, We uh, got that uh, patient out and... uh, started CPR on her right away and transported her to uh, Mount Etico Medical Center uh, fairly quickly. The victim was identified as 58-year-old Betty Jo Edenshaw, who later died of her injuries. Miller said around 12 firefighters and 10 EMTs responded to the call. They are working with Sitka Police Department to investigate the source of the fire. So we will do all we can to figure out what started it. Sometimes we can figure it out, sometimes we can't. It's just, uh, you know... One of those things, it could have been electrical or a spark or anything. Miller says the local investigation will likely take a few days, and they'll report the victim's death to the medical examiner and state fire marshal's office in Anchorage, who will determine if further investigation is necessary. When the Sitka Assembly meets tonight, it will consider declaring an economic emergency due to COVID-19 and poor salmon returns this fishing season. City Administrator John Leach brought forth the resolution, which asked the Assembly to declare an economic disaster in the city of Sitka due to COVID-19 and poor regional salmon returns this fishing season. In passing it, the Assembly would also urge the state and federal governments to issue similar declarations. The group will also consider appointing one of three applicants to the Police and Fire Commission. There are currently 15 vacant seats on nine of Sitka's local commissions, and the city has had trouble filling those seats. But at its last meeting, the Assembly rejected the appointment of Ben Huey to a vacant police commission seat. Just two weeks later, three more Sitkins have applied. Samuel Pointer Jr., Wayne Young, and Gary Owens will be considered for the slot. It will also consider appointing Wendy Alderson to the Planning Commission, and either Vaughn Morrison or Chris Stad will to a term on the Gary Paxton Industrial Park Board of Directors. In other business, the Assembly will hear a six-month report from Search CEO Charles Clement and will consider several artists' submissions for the City Seal redesign project. The Sitka Assembly meets tonight at 6 p.m. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. Sitka health officials have reported two new coronavirus cases over the weekend. The first, a woman in her 50s with symptoms, was tested on September 18th. The second is a male resident in his 40s with symptoms who was also tested on September 18th. Both patients are isolating and health officials have completed contact tracing for the male patient. The contact tracing for the female patient is ongoing, according to a city press release. The two are the 44th and 45th residents to test positive for the coronavirus in Sitka. 17 non-residents have tested positive. Three cases are currently considered active, and Sitka's COVID-19 alert level remains low. The city of Angoon has reported two new cases of the coronavirus. The cases were announced on Sunday and Monday. They are close contacts of one another, according to public health officials. 
This brings the total number of cases in Angoon to 13, and they are the first active cases in over two weeks. It also triggers the resumption of an emergency travel order that requires incoming travelers to practice extreme social distancing measures for two weeks. The order expired after all of Angoon's cases were marked as recovered on September 15th. Angoon's mayor is asking all residents and visitors to stop traveling unless absolutely necessary for health and safety reasons and is encouraging residents to take advantage of expanded community-wide testing. The Angoon Community Association and City Office are closed to the public and Angoon schools are resuming distance learning on Monday. Yakutat has a new confirmed case of the coronavirus. Yakutat Incident Command announced the new case on Sunday. The man had no symptoms when he took a test at the Yakutat Community Health Center on September 17th. Public health officials have started contact tracing and will contact anyone who had close contact with the man. It's unclear how he contracted the virus, but community spread is possible, according to a local press release. This brings Yakutat's total case count to seven, according to local officials. It's the first reported case in Yakutat in almost two months. Yakutat Incident Command is asking everyone who has been in a public establishment or business for over 15 minutes without a mask since September 7th to get tested. The local clinic conducted free drive-through testing on Monday and will continue to offer free testing days in the future. A public hearing on a November ballot measure that could radically change the way Alaskans pick their elected leaders was held Monday with only one person calling in. Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports. If passed, Measure 2's changes would be threefold. First, it would replace separate party primary ballots with one that's open to all candidates. Spokesman for Alaska's Better Elections Initiative, Scott Kendall, says that would end some of the most competitive races being decided by a limited group of partisan voters. So every candidate gets on the same ballot regardless of party, and every voter receives the same ballot regardless of party. You simply vote for your favorite in every race. And the top four vote-getters, regardless of their party, would advance to the general election. Then in November, voters would rank their choices in order of preference. And if nobody wins more than 50% of first-choice votes, the candidate with the least number of votes is eliminated. And voters who chose that candidate first have their second choice counted. And that process continues until one candidate receives majority support. Kendall, who served as independent former Governor Bill Walker's chief of staff, says the third part of the initiative would increase disclosure requirements for hard-to-trace dark money supporting political candidates. That's money that goes into our election system, and because of the way it's transferred through several nonprofit groups, you really the, the voting public has no way of knowing where the money actually came from. The Yes Camp is well-funded, with more than $1 million coming from a centrist political group funded by Catherine Murdoch, a daughter-in-law of media mogul Rupert Murdoch. In Alaska, several prominent politicians have lined up to oppose the measure because they say it would reduce political parties' influence. Former Governor Sean Parnell and former Senator Mark Begich have called ranked choice voting political trickery. That's Brett Huber, a former campaign manager for Governor Mike Dunleavy. He's a spokesman for Defend Alaska Elections, which opposes the measure. Its largest donors include state and national Republican Party groups, as well as conservative organizations like the Club for Growth and the Koch Brothers-funded group Americans for Prosperity. Huber argues that the current party primary system works, with ranked choice relatively unproven. The net effect of this system is to take something that's known, understood, transparent, and fair in Alaskans' mind and turn it into an experiment that's failed in other areas and let us deal with the aftermath. Under the current system, voters registered nonpartisan or undeclared can request any party's ballot. That was an issue raised by cartoonist Pat Race, the only member of the public to testify in the hearing. 
Ray says his House district in Juneau often has competitive Democratic primaries, whereas statewide races for governor or Congress have competitive contests between Republicans. And as a nonpartisan, he can't vote in both primaries at once. It puts me in the position of having to choose, um, you know, choose which ballot I want to vote on uh, and which races I want to influence, um, which is really hard because a lot of these races are decided in the primary elections. Measure 2 will appear on the November 3rd ballot. That's following an unsuccessful challenge by Alaska's former attorney general that was dismissed by the Alaska Supreme Court. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. Researchers from the University of Alaska Fairbanks began looking at big changes to one of the state's biggest glaciers on Monday. As Claire Strempel reports from Alaska's Energy Desk, it's melting so rapidly that it could create a new bay north of Yakutat. What's happening at the Malaspina Glacier may be the largest landscape transformation underway in the United States. So you're looking at something becoming um, a big ocean bay, essentially, that's the site of a small state. Martin Trufer says he doesn't like to pick on Rhode Island, but the Malaspina is bigger. He's a glaciologist with the Geophysical Institute and a physics professor at UAF. He's studied big ice from Greenland to Antarctica. The Malaspina is kind of a hard glacier not, not to pay attention to if you're a glaciologist. It's a really big glacier. Malaspina Glacier sits in Wrangell-St. Elias National Park and flows onto lowland plains on the north side of Yakutat Bay. As it retreats, it's opening up lakes that connect to the ocean. The National Science Foundation recently awarded Trufer's team $1.3 million to study the Malaspina's retreat. The goal of the project is really to suss out a bit more how likely that is and what rates are we talking about, you know? Where are we going to be in 50 years or where are we going to be in 100 years? His team will measure how fast the glacier moves and how fast it's melting in different places. They'll pay special attention to the front of the glacier, where the ice is turning into those lakes. They plan to find out whether the Malaspina will disappear completely based on different climate models. Trufer says meltwater from this one glacier makes Alaska a big contributor to global sea level rise. And some of these changes that we're seeing are really actually hard to kind of wrap your head around of what's actually going on. And, and this is really one of those places. Trufer says it's too soon to tell what the impacts on Yakutat hunters and fishers may be, but he plans to make community connections and find out. This isn't the first time a big glacier has melted in Alaska. Yakutat Bay used to be full of ice from the Hubbard Glacier about a thousand years ago. For Alaska's Energy Desk, I'm Claire Strempel. Taking a look at the community calendar. Sitka Farmers Market produce can be ordered from 5 p.m. Tuesdays through 8 p.m. Thursdays on the Salton Soil Marketplace website. Pickup is 10 a.m. to noon, Saturdays through September at St. Peter's Fellowship Farm. Details are also on the website. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is Morning Edition.